We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into another edition of The Beer Garden presented by Southern Traditions Farm. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, former Major Leaguer John Lieber joins to talk about the state of the game, uh, the pitch clock, his career, uh, some of his experiences, and more John pitched for the uh, Pirates, Cubs, Yankees, and Phillies during his 14-year career. He lives in Mobile now. So we'll talk to him about uh, his career in just a minute. First, I want to tell you about Southern Traditions Farm. It's a 68-acre, 32-stall, upscale equestrian training and boarding facility in Canton, Mississippi with two sand rings, a grass ring, and miles of wooded trails. There's a lot to be offered at Southern Traditions, including horseback riding offerings, from beginner lessons with trainer Susan Walt to buying your first horse, competing at nationally recognized competitions. Under the teachings of one of the best young professionals in the sport, Bowers Cone, Southern Traditions has high aspirations for its future. Along with owners Ben and Hillary Craddock, Southern Traditions has become one of the leading equestrian facilities in all of Mississippi. For questions or information about lessons, boarding, or sales, contact Bowers at Bowers Cone. One, it's B-O-W-E-R-S-C-O-N-E, the number one, at gmail.com, or message them on Facebook or Instagram at Southern Traditions Farm. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number, ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for, he'll send you a quote. Within 15 minutes in business hours, it's right to the bottom line. No haggle, no hassle, you get your quote. The rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do. And that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. Now on the MyPerfectFranchise.net hotline, here is former Major Leaguer John Lieber. Former All-Star John Lieber joins uh, on the show. John, it's, it's a treat for me. Uh, you and I are about the same age, so uh, there were times in your career where I probably lived vicariously through people like you as somebody who wanted to play baseball at that level but was nowhere near good enough to do it. You were. I uh, appreciate you spending some time. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Neil. I appreciate it. So I want to get to your career in a minute. Um, but the first thing I, I kind of want to – catch up with what you're doing now um in your here in your early 50s what are you doing as a, as a former major leaguer i know you're at the cubs convention and some things like that recently but what's going on with your life uh well I, unfortunately uh probably the biggest thing that's happened for me um was i just i just recently went through a divorce last year uh 29 years of marriage and and now i'm remarried um so it's it's kind of a whole new chapter for me right now and i'm enjoying life and enjoying everything about it. 
um, have four kids that, uh, I try to keep up with my oldest, uh, you know, she's, she's 25 and I've got a 22 year old, uh, one that's going to be 20 and one that's going to be 16 and just try and stay active in their, in their lives some way or another. And, um, I'm down here in Mobile, Alabama, just trying to stay busy, whatever I can do, you know, if, if that's helping kids, uh, you know, grow in the sport of baseball, you know, pitching wise or just, you know, anything else that, that, that I can do to help out a friend or whatever. You mentioned the game. I'm curious. Uh, it's kind of the big topic of spring training right now is this, the pitch clock. You were a pitcher. You pitched uh, for the Pirates, Cubs, Yankees, Phillies, had a long career. When you watch games now, and I assume you've seen it, at least clips of it with the, uh, the pitch clock, what are your thoughts as to what's going on with the game and how would you have handled that? <laughs> uh well honestly i probably would have never had a problem with a pitch clock because i love to pitch fast so i think that i had that in my in my corner but um you know honestly it just uh I, i'm just i'm bothered by all the changes that have happened it seems like in the last 10 years um uh i feel like there's been a lot of changes that um that aren't going to make any sense that that aren't going to help the game in any way possible um i think it's it, is, is trying to reinvent something that was never really broken, if that makes sense. Um, and I think it's, it's really, it's, it's starting to put a, a damper or it's starting to tarnish. I think this great game that's been in this country for over a hundred years, 150 years. And, um, I just, I just don't like it. You know, I just, I just don't like what I see. Um, uh, some of the things that are happening. Um, it's, you know, I, 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 I understand they're trying to, bringing an audience, younger audience or whatever. But um, I think for me, it all started with, um, and I'm not totally against it 100%, but I'm going to say at least 80, 85%, but the analytical part, um, I think uh, it has really, has really started this whole trend of trying to change things and make it more number oriented. Um, and uh, basically uh, towards a selfish part part for the individual playing the sport you know what i mean because um it's all about numbers and spin ratios and launch angles and you know what can i do for myself to make myself better and that's just not the way i was brought up in the game you know it's interesting you say that because i mean look you were a guy who threw hard but you didn't throw 98 99 100 hard i mean you worked in the kind of the low 90s and 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 you know you worked with your slider you had a change you were a three-pitch pitcher for the most part would a guy like you with your arsenal and skill set even have gotten as many opportunities as you got as a major leaguer if you were coming out today? Or would you well, have it's, or, it's or would you have or, or would you have trained differently where you would have been so velocity focused that you probably would have thrown harder? Well, that's that's a that's a great question. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the velocity and this is probably gonna upset some people or whatever but you know i've re i've really been intrigued by the velocity side of the sport um why pitchers are throwing so hard nowadays and it and it seemed like it was really just overnight and i've talked to uh people that that have been in the game people that have been in the game for 40 50 years um good friends of mine that are coaches in the game um because i really i really wanted to understand what um what was really going on and um 
but anyway, I, what I was getting to was the, the, the velocity part of the game. Um, you know, I was asking these guys, you know, what, what is going on in the sport with, you know, guys throwing so hard, you know, it seemed like everybody was 95, 98, you know, you had your guys throwing over a hundred. Well, come to find out and, you know, I can't say there, there's any truth to it, but from what I understand that they're getting, they're getting the velocities out of the pitcher's hand um, now instead of the ball crossing home plate. And I think that's increased, you know, everybody's velocity across the board. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, I, I was a guy that threw, you know, 90, 92, you know, if, if that was the case, I mean, what was, what was my velocity if they were getting out of my hand would it have been 95, 96. Right. Um, you know, that I, I just, I don't know. And, and, and it totally makes sense. It's, uh, you know, um, and the guys I've talked to that played in the game, um, I've even said it, they said, you know, it, it looks like when we played now, obviously, like I said, you have your guys that throw 100 miles an hour, 102, you know, who those guys are and they're legit. But um, you just can't sit here and tell me that all of a sudden uh, everybody is 96, 98 miles an hour and not taking anything away from the strengthening programs or anything like that. I think they're they're off the charts. I think they're great. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But um I just I just can't see where it's going to make an increase to everybody's velocity to where they're throwing that hard. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, when you were coming up, were you radar gun focused or were you more stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. Like the typical, like the typical young guy. You know, I mean, it started out with the laser, you know, radar. You know, and you know those. Uh, let's see. I remember in college. Um, you know, if, or, or I'm sorry, not the laser, the ray, the ray gun is what they called it. Um, if they, if you know, if you were 87, 88, that was, that was bringing it pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, then they had the, the next, the next radar gun, which was, um, you know, just a typical radar. So I was, I was probably 99, like I said, 90 to 92. And I stayed there until, um, I got in, you know, to about my prime 27, 28, maybe through a little bit harder than that. But yeah, you know, I mean, we're all driven to those numbers and, you know, we'd like to see those numbers. And, and I think that's what's happened is it's, it's really driven everybody to number a numbers game now, instead of, um, you know, it's a kind of a, a cat mouse game, you know, to say, the, you know, there's, you know, they've, they've taken basically the, the hit and runs away, the stealing bases, um, you know, just things like that, you know, and uh, it's really a shame. So I, th I think it's more throwing and it's not pitching. And, you know, because I can sit down and watch a game and it's just, it's either trying to strike everybody out or they're trying to hit home runs, it seems like. Yeah, it's kind of become a three-outcome game. Strikeouts, walks, home runs. And and that's the part that, yeah. that's the yeah. part that's, it's not the time of the game necessarily. It's it's all of that. It's It's that they've taken some of the, the uh, movement out of it. Like when I was a kid growing up, I mean, Ricky Henderson was stealing, you know, a hundred bases or whatever. And, and that was part of the game. I can remember the Cardinals who I hated, but they had all those guys who could run Vince Coleman and, oh, yeah. and all those guys. And, and that's not really a part of the game anymore. Maybe, maybe no. with the new rules, with the, the limited throwovers and stuff, maybe that stuff will come back, but it doesn't feel like it at all. I mean, it feels like everything is so driven to hitting the long ball and opportunities that you don't want to, you don't want to make outs on bases. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, um, 
you know, moving these runner, you know, runner, runners up and, uh, you know, just put guys in situations to where, you know, would it really be like that? Um, you know, some of these situations could hurt guys' careers, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, especially as a relief pitcher, um, you know, uh, you know, you go next extra innings, they're putting guys on base and, you know, all right, you give up a hit or whatever, scores a winning run, but who's to say, you know, you give up that hit, like I used to give up hits, but I'd work my way out of the innings. Um, you know, there's, I don't know, it just, it's just really changed and it's just, it's just very disappointing. And, um, I'm just not, I'm just not a huge fan of it. So let's talk about your career some, because I think it's, it's really fascinating. You were part of some historic franchises. You played in a historic series, but I'm going to start with Pittsburgh. You, you were the opening day starter in 95. You were young, mm-hmm. you struggled. Y'all were a young staff. You struggled. You got sent down to Calgary. Um, which is a hitter's league, and, and you got hit some there. Early in your career, how hard was it, you know, to have you're, – you're having those typical new player struggles at the big league level. How hard was it to keep your confidence? How hard was it to not kind of get shaken a little bit, to doubt yourself? Because, I mean, you know, you, you got hit in Pittsburgh. You go to Calgary. You had like a 7 ERA for a little while there. I mean, you had to be kind of thinking, man, this, I thought this was going to be a little easier than this. And And, and – you, you, there it is. It's you know you're kind of your everything you've worked for is sort of on the line right there. How did you sort of stay um, stay positive? Well, it it, it was uh, you know that whole experience was I was very fortunate that Pittsburgh even called me up uh, after that '95 season when I finished in AAA. You know I I was expected to go home and try and regroup you know for the next season and hopefully you know make the team out of spring training. But you know when I when I found out that um, you know, they were calling me up and they, and that was my first bullpen experience that September 95. Um, that started the, you know, the, the rebuilding phase for me, you know, cause I did, I hit rock bottom, you know, when, when I got sent down to Calgary and I probably didn't handle it well. I know I didn't. Um, I was probably, you know, ass or whatever. And, and just, you know, I've, I've, I've never had that struggle, um, like that. And, if, and if I did, you know, I usually, you know, came out of it after a week or so but i mean that that whole season it was just a struggle and um you know and you know probably probably my confidence was shot and my body language was terrible but it seemed like when they when they gave me that opportunity to come up and you know hey let's try him out of the bullpen let's you know work him back in there and, and finished up pretty good you know not bad um but i found out that year you know that pitch uh my slider uh, I didn't, I didn't have that, that breaking ball that whole year, basically. And that's what hurt me, you know, cause I, I really relied on that pitch, uh, especially ahead of the count. But if, if you don't have, you know, one of your two pitches, you know, which I, I basically threw two or three pitches, but for me to lose that breaking ball, you know, really hurt me. So, um, you know, and they asked me to, they wanted me to go play winter ball that year. And I, I, I really didn't want him. So I had to stay in Pittsburgh. They, they really, I think they want to, watch over my workouts and stuff and you know and then i then i kind of knew you know i i found a place i was i was i was gonna fit in at and um you know they they really took me under the wings and, and rebuilt me up and and luckily i got back in the rotation in 96 halfway through the season what was your reaction when you got traded from pittsburgh to the cubs was that a good thing in your mind or or at the time was it was it kind of baffling to you no it, it it was i think it was time to move on um 
you know, there was just some some things that were going on. Um, I think my time was running out. They, you know, Pittsburgh was. It seemed like they were always trending. I'm trying to get younger, and you know, here I am. You know, 28 going to, going to be 29, and I, you know, I've seen it over the past few years where guys were were getting traded at that age on the ball club, and so it it was it was a good move, good time for me to change uh, teams, and you know, obviously it worked out for the best. I'm just curious, what was that like as a major leaguer? You'd been in Wrigley as a, as a, obviously in the division as a, as a opponent. Uh, when you go from playing, in, you go from playing in Pittsburgh, where I mean, I've been to Pittsburgh. It's a beautiful park, and I love the city. Oh, but, yeah. but a lot of times, you know, there's eight, nine thousand, ten thousand people at games, and suddenly you're at Wrigley, and you know, you're in the the Kerry Wood era and the Sammy Sosa era, and uh, the place was pretty much packed all the time. How was that? Was that kind of cool, or was that a little intimidating, or a little bit of both? Well, there was there was a couple things. Uh, you know, as a visiting player, you know, with Pittsburgh going into Wrigley, you just um, first of all, you know, you were uh, I don't want to say intimidated, but you know, you knew the ballpark was small. Uh, the wind seemed like it was always blowing out. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and you just always wanted to have a, a you know, hopefully a good game if you pitched there, which which I did. I didn't I didn't pitch too badly there, but. Um, when I found out I got traded to Chicago, I was, I was definitely excited because, um, you know, I knew that I knew the fans came in. It was, it was mid, it was Midwestern people, which, you know, that's where I grew up. Uh, so I felt like I could really connect with the people pretty well. Um, and when I got over there and, and, uh, started playing the day games on a regular basis, I mean, I fell in love with it. Um, it was right up my alley and, and I feel like I thrived, you know, in that environment. And, um, it did. It, it just felt like home, you know, in Chicago, you know, you probably know this, it, you know, they did draft me after my, my junior year at South Alabama, but, you know, I decided to come back for my senior year, but, um, Jim Henry, who was a GM or assistant GM at the time, uh, you know, I think played a big part in getting me over there and, and Ed Lynch. And so, you know, I was, I was very pleased, you know, obviously with the move and, and it worked out for the best. You kind of were in an era in Chicago where, and you became an you became the ace. You made the All Star team, I think, in two thousand or two thousand one. Two thousand one. Uh, two thousand one. Yeah, with, with the uh, with the Cubs, you were right in that window from the the peak of the Sosa years, I guess, to uh, you know right before they they got it done with Wood and Pryor and everything in two thousand three, where they got so close. How frustrating, as much as you enjoyed it, how frustrating were those handful of years that you couldn't quite get over the hump, you couldn't get into the playoffs, couldn't kind of make that happen in, in, in that place? It was it was very hard. Um, you know, I felt like uh, that 2001 team, uh, I really felt like we had the pieces to go very far, you know, to, to get to the World Series, honestly. And, um, you know, you just – you never know in the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. So – but I felt like with that team, you know, great group of guys, um, just uh, I, I felt like we had everything covered, you know, to, to make a run in the playoffs. And we just came up short. You know, we just uh, we faltered down the stretch. And, you know, you had two other teams in front of us, Houston and St. Louis, where they were just as good. You know, that was a very strong division. So, um, you know, it didn't happen. It, it, it was frustrating. But, um, you know, obviously the move to New York. Uh, you know, after leaving Chicago, that that helped a little bit uh, to put a damper on that. So, um, but um, it would it would have been nice to win in Chicago, that's for sure. You threw two hundred and fifty innings 
one year. Uh, that's a, I mean, nobody even comes close to that anymore. At the time, did you think, man, I am really, I'm really pitching a lot, or was it just, I'm just going to work every fifth, every fifth day? Uh, honestly, yeah, just going, just I, I was just thrilled to be getting the ball, you know, and they were leaving me in in, in games. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like a, a killer season or anything like that, but uh, I, I think it, you know, it. it it showed to where I could work deep into ball games, keep the games close, um, give give the team a chance to win that. And that's all I ever really asked for myself was just pitch as pitch as far into the game you can, make you know, give them a chance to win and and let them take it from there. So you had Tommy John end of twenty twenty oh two. I always want to say twenty twenty two, but we're it was twenty years ago, two thousand two. <laughs> you missed the whole two thousand three season. Um when you came back from Tommy John, did you have to become a different pitcher, or did everything was everything right there for you? Um, no, I, not not really. It it was it was kind of up and down um, for a few months there, and it felt like uh, when when I finally got into August of uh, 2002. Let's see, I was uh, three months into pitching at the time, and it seemed like when August hit, it, it felt like everything was starting to, you know, felt normal again. If if, if that makes sense, so. Um, you know, I felt very strong, felt like it was in probably one of the best shapes of my life. And I was just, you know, it just felt good to, to not be in pain anymore, to be honest with you. And, uh, and to be pitching out there on that big stage again. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, the, maybe the biggest stage in in all of all of baseball, Yankee Stadium, pitching for the Yankees with that Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, all those guys. What was what was it like walking into that clubhouse the first time? Those were guys that were you know legends, and and I mean at the time, I guess they were still players, but you knew they were Hall of Famers, and that was a historic oh, yeah. a historic team and a historic city and stadium and all of that. What was that like to to walk into it, and how much did kind of playing in the fishbowl that was Wrigley prepare you for it? Um, well, nothing, nothing. I don't think ever prepared me for that, for that environment. Um, I think what was nice was, 
you know, here I was a guy coming off a major surgery and all they wanted me to do was just, you know, uh, take the ball every fifth day, you know, like, like I've been doing, don't change a thing. And they, you know, they just took the pressure off of me, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself at their standards and at that level. Uh, I just want to be the guy that goes out there, you know, um, make every start that I can that year. And, and hopefully we get, we get to the playoffs and to the world series. I mean, honestly, that, that, that's what I really wanted to do, uh, was get to the world series with that team. Cause, um, you talk, yeah, like you said, you talk about talent in the clubhouse. Uh, that, that that team had it for sure. Tell me about Joe Torre as a manager, because that's a lot of it's a, a huge stage, tons of media. They're in your locker room, your clubhouse all the time. You got Derek Jeter and Rivera, and there's so many. I'm, I'm sure egos on that team. I mean, yeah. obviously, he, he always seemed like he sort of just managed that incredibly well. What was it like to play for him? I mean, you nailed it right on the head right there. I mean, it was just incredible to, to watch him work. I mean, everybody knew what their job was. Um, you know, uh, he didn't, he didn't have any problems with guys coming in there saying, Hey, you know, I, why, why aren't I getting these at bats? You know, why, why aren't I playing? You know, you knew as a player, what your, what your role was going to be going into that season. So, um, you know, I look at guys, uh, for example, like Ruben Sierra was on that team that year. You know, that guy, yeah, that guy could play every day, uh, you know, on most clubs that year. But he knew his role going into that season was as a pinch hitter coming off the bench, left-handed. Let's see, left-handed. Was he left-handed or right-handed? I can't remember. Sierra was right-handed. left-hander, right? Left-handed. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that that was his role, and he knew it, you know, and we all knew, you know, what 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 was expected of us and – and Joe, Joe just did it. He, he just did a great job. You know, he, he let it be known in spring training and, um, he just let us play, you know, and just very, it, it was just awesome just to watch that. I mean, cause, um, they do have a lot of egos in that locker room and, uh, he, ha- he handled them, you know, very well. So, so that 2004 season, you, you ended up playing a huge role on on that rotation as the season progressed and you guys got into the playoffs you get into the american league championship series against boston you mm-hmm. win you win game two i think you gave up up took notes here one run three hits seven innings in game two and uh you guys win game three you're up three games to nothing did at any point in in that moment did you think you know i've been playing baseball all of my life i'm one win away from the world series we're up three, nothing. I'm going to pitch in the world series. Did, did you yeah. allow yourself to even go there? No. Um, well, let me take that back. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's, uh, you know, especially at that third game. I mean, we, I'll never forget this, this moment. Um, we're going back to the hotel and yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm excited. You know, this is what you play for as a kid. And, and uh, you know, I'm not, you know, out there, you know, yelling it out loud or anything, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy on the inside, obviously, but, uh, never forget getting in the elevator with Gary Tuck, you know, who was a great coach for the Yankees. He's been around the game a long time. You know, he was our catching, uh, instructor on that club. And he said, uh, he goes, he goes, this game, he goes, it's not over yet. He goes, we do not want, we don't want this to get to game seven. Cause he knew in the back of his mind, you know, um, that, 
if they had any shot that, you know, Boston was probably going to win this. We got to game seven and, and he was right. I, I mean, it's just, it was unbelievable. But um, and you tip your cap to him in that situation. You know, I mean, Boston didn't give up. Although, you know, I remember game four, we went to the park that day. You could hear a needle drop in that stadium. And uh, they were actually, actually, you know, congratulating some of us, you know, hey, man, you know, good luck, you know, moving on and, you know, hope hope you guys hope you guys win it and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, the newspapers that day uh, in Boston were writing obituaries on that team. I mean, talking about <laughs> what went wrong, you know, and 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 there's like, yeah, I think it was Kevin Millar who was like, you know, yeah, we're probably in trouble, but if we could get past this one, it kind of lines up where we'd have a chance. I mean, that was kind of the. I think, and honestly, I think they were. I think if uh, they they end up losing that series. They, they they break up that whole team, to be honest with you. I think that was the talk of the town, and and they were going to make some major changes. So, um, you know, David Ortiz, just get on his back, and the rest is history. So, I mean, it was just, it was just an incredible series, something to me, even though I felt like, you know, uh, even though I didn't get to pitch in the World Series, to me that was the World Series. I, I feel like that, that whole series – with that team the whole year felt like pitching in the playoffs, if that makes sense. I yeah, mean, you started game six of that series, which had a totally different feel, I'm, I'm assuming, than game two, because by game six, it felt like Boston had this momentum, and that was the shilling, oh, yeah. the shilling sock night and all that stuff. I mean, watching from the other side, do you start thinking maybe it's just not meant to be? Maybe they're, they're just a team of destiny? No, I mean, I, I still felt like we had a chance in that sixth game. Um I think the one thing that really surprised me uh, um, that we really didn't bunt on chilling. You know, we all knew he had the bad ankle and, you know, had the surgery or whatever, and not one bunt was laid down during that game, you know. And, um, you know, you got to tip your cap to, to Kurt, you know, and I made I made a bad pitch to, to Bellhorn uh, where 99 out of 100 times he doesn't hit that pitch or he fouls it off. Um but it did. It just, yeah, things went their way, and and it just it just didn't work out. So um, it was unfortunate. It sucked because we did. We, I mean, we had a really solid team that year. But um, you know, Boston, Boston was a team. So you end up going to Philly for a couple of years. Had a couple of one particularly good season there, and then I guess things started to just. Was it physically you begin? Start that? getting older. Yeah. <laughs> Father time gets all of us. When did you sort of know, hey, this has been a hell of a run, but it's it's time to walk away? It was, well, uh, honestly, 06. I, I, I kind of figured, um, I was, <clears throat> you know, I, I, had, I had some offers out there to go to some other places. I know Kansas City was coming after me pretty hard. Um, you know, that was, uh, let's see, it was July. I had ankle surgery. And um, so I was out, you know, the last couple months of the season. But, um I know Kansas City was interested, but I really wanted to go back to Chicago if there was any possibility. So that that's how that happened, going back there in 08. Um, I was going to try and put together another run. I felt, uh, you know, Philly Philly was – that's a hard place to play. You know, when people say that, that that is it's – a, it's a tough place to play. Because of the fans um, and, and all that? Well, it, yeah, it can be. You know, it, it's just uh, – you know, they expect so much out of you, which there's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, especially – for, for myself and you know, you're trying to do so much for them, 
it seems like some of them don't understand that they just you know they they don't they don't want to hear excuses or whatever and i'm i'm not making excuses but i just pitched poorly uh my my last two seasons there but um it was just refreshing to be out of there and try and start over and i felt like going back to chicago was was hopefully going to do that to where maybe i could put together another two or three more years and but i i realized i think halfway through um through 08 that you know my my time was up you know it was I had four kids at home and, um, you know, they were in school and I was missing a lot of things that they were doing at home. And, you know, you know, I had a hell of a run and, um, you know, I, I don't regret any decision I make, uh, back then, even now. So, um, you know, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I'm curious for you, you, you obviously didn't win a world series with the Cubs. Very few people have. When they did it in 2016, was there a, a part of you that, I don't know, felt a, any kind of a cathartic feeling or a relief? I mean, knowing that you'd spent so much time in that organization and what it meant to so many people, did, did it, what did it mean to you? Well, I, I don't think necessarily for me. I think it was more, uh, honestly, for the people that have worked there uh, for generations um, in that stadium. And for the fan base, um, because the, the the connections I've made with people when I played there are some that you know I'll I'll never lose, and I still t- stay in touch with some of those people. So I was really happy for those people. You know, I was happy for you know obviously the team and the organization and so forth, but really you know because hearing their stories over the years and how their great grandfather worked here and they're working there now and. You know, they've seen the the hit misses and and now they finally get to experience it and enjoy it. I mean, I, I guarantee you there was a lot of tears going around that city that night. So, you know, I went to game three of the World Series. A friend gave me and my son tickets and um, the pregame for that game was the first World Series game at Wrigley since 1945. The, the pregame for that game felt like a religious experience. It was Oh, yeah. It was yeah. unlike anything I've ever been able to really describe. I mean, I don't even remember the game that much. I remember th- at the very end, um, <clears throat> I guess Javier Baez was the final out of the game, and he fouled one straight back right before he struck out that, you know, if he hits it, just, you know how that is. I mean, he, he, oh, yeah. he was going yeah. to hit it out onto the street, and the wind was blowing out that night. It ended up being a one nothing game, which was weird, but... I remember thinking, man, if, if he had hit that, this place this place isn't going to make it through, through that. But that's about all I remember from the game itself. What I remember mostly was the the atmosphere around the stadium, inside that stadium. It was it was it was spiritual. There's no other word for it. It was just it was crazy. And I did think about like all of those people who had that was such a big part of their lives, their entire life, their their fathers, their grandfathers, grandmothers, all that stuff. And and it, you're right, it was. It was so there were there were a lot of tears in the pregame, but in, in game three, I can't even imagine what Chicago was like the night of game seven. It had to be just bonkers, oh, but uh, yeah, nuts. Yeah. When when you go back for uh, like conventions and stuff, and you saw that you hung out with Glendon Rush and Kerry Wood and some of those guys, um, how much fun is that now? Oh, it's awesome. I think I think the one thing I really get a kick out of is my kids nowadays. Uh, they're, they're always wanting to know, Hey, are, are we going back to the convention? You know, and I'm so, I'm so honored to be able to do that for them. 
and be a part of that and have them be a part of that because they look forward to it every year. And I, you know, I've said it before, but I, you know, I always appreciate the Cubs, you know, not just taking care of me and having me back for these, these type of events, but also, you know, letting my family come and spend that time. And, um, because it does, it mean it means a lot. You know, I'm a big family guy and, um, I like to have my kids involved in stuff like that. It's, I, I feel like it's, it's, these conventions are things they'll never forget and it's, and it's things I'll never forget. So, um, it is, it's, it's pretty special. Um, all the, t- all the guys that you played with, all the future hall of famers and stuff, who, who was the, who was the one of those guys that was the most down to earth, regular guy? Uh, out of all the players. Yeah. Out of all the stars, you, you played with Jeter and Sosa and all those kind of guys. I mean, guys that, you know, were household uh, names. Probably Mariano. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, um, everything he's gotten in life, you know, from from his playing days to now, he deserves every bit of it. I mean, he's one of the most genuine, humble human beings I've ever come across. Um, would do anything for you. Um, you know, uh, he's just he's just a special individual. You know, I never really hung out with Mariano, but. Um, you know, I've talked to him a few times in the locker room, but you can just tell. And when you see him on TV or at events, that's really him. You know, he's not putting on a show or anything like that. Um, and I can honestly say that for most guys, you know, um, I've been very fortunate to have great teammates over the years. And, and um, you know, to Kevin Tappany, to, you know, Kerry Woods, another one, uh, very humble, down to earth. Uh, Jason Schmidt from the Pirates, Jason Kendall. Um, a lot of guys so um you know just just you know great great guys and just very fortunate to be you know to be uh to be able to be their teammate and stuff were there one or two hitters that you just dreaded facing as a pitcher <laughs> probably um not not really not um i think the one guys that really frustrated me was the line drive hitters the guys that that were very good at putting the ball in play, like Eric Young, was one. Uh, Billy Miller owned me, like the first his first twelve at bats off me. I mean, he was twelve for twelve. Uh, oh, it pissed me off so bad. Um, but because uh, you get really aware of that, right? That a guy's got numbers on you, and you start thinking yeah, about it. Well, and they, you know, I'm I'm not very hard to figure out. You know, I'm gonna be around the plate. Um, I throw two pitches. Well. You know, two different fastballs, a slider that I can locate to both sides of the plate. But you know, basically, it's two pitches. You know, you just gotta, you just gotta look for them at certain counts. And um, and those guys drove me nuts. You know, uh, Klesko was another one that just he was probably the biggest power hitter that gave me the problems. You know, he he either hit one five hundred feet or hit a broken bat bloop double down the line or something. I mean, it just it never failed. So, but the big guys, you know, like Bagwell, McGuire, uh, Sammy um bonds um you know i pretty much i I had pretty good success against those guys um you know it it was uh it was a lot of fun but yeah the never really feared anybody but you knew who was going to give you trouble or give you a battle uh in certain situations for sure well listen i really appreciate all the time it was fun for me uh to to talk to you about some of those your experiences the cub teams and and all that stuff and i remember that 04 series so well uh, our mutual friend taylor zarzer is such a giant red sox fan and so he was 
that was the <laughs> biggest moment of his of his life at, at that point. So, um, again, appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, enjoy your time there in Mobile and and uh, with the kids and everything. And look forward to talking to you again soon. I hope. And you bet. Thank, thanks for having me on. Hope to, hope to do it again soon. All right. Thanks, John. Again, my thanks to John Lieber for his time today on the Beer Garden. We'll be back sometime in the next couple of weeks with a uh, another edition of the Beer Garden. Have some things in the hopper, if you will. Just haven't gotten to them yet. Got a couple of uh, busy, weird weeks of podcasting for uh, both Chase Parham and myself. So uh, schedule's going to be a little erratic. But we'll be back with some editions of the Beer Garden here uh, fairly soon. So again, thanks for making us a part of uh, your listening habits and we certainly appreciate it hope you enjoyed uh, a little trip down baseball memory lane with former major leaguer john lieber until next time i'm neil mccready take care this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.